Hello and welcome to the Hypochondriacs Almanac Podcast. Tonight I have Sam recording with me. Say hello to the listener, Sam. Hello, everyone. So I had so much fun with Sam the last time we recorded, and she's been a pretty good regular fixture on the show with her medical background and knowledge. It has been great to have her as a resource for the show. So um, before we get started, we need to just do a couple little disclaimers that we do every time. You can fast forward through this part if you so choose. But first and foremost, we are not doctors or medical professionals of any kind. Please, please, please do not take anything we say on the show as medical advice. We're not trying to treat you, diagnose you, or fix any of your medical conditions. If you have an issue, please see a doctor. Don't guess or take what we say as a diagnostic tool. We just want to talk about all the fun and weird parts of the medical world, past, present, and future. Let's jump right into today's episode. Today, we are going to talk about an issue that seems to be pretty timely in the news, um, given the recent passage of Luke Perry. We're going to talk about strokes today. Um, I think this is kind of one of those issues that is a silent killer to some degree. Um, It's my understanding that Perry suffered a massive stroke at his home in Los Angeles, February 27th, 2019. After a second stroke, his family followed the medical team's recommendations to remove him from life support, and he died March 4th at the age of 52. So, celebrities... There have been several that have been diagnosed with strokes that are well-known celebrities, and I think this has kind of brought this issue up into the forefront. Luke Perry was young, right? Mm-hmm. 52 oh, yeah. is so young to suffer something like that. But it's my understanding that stroke knows no age. Like, you could be young and still have a stroke, right? Mm-hmm. It depends on um, your risk factors, but yeah. So. A stroke is a medical emergency, obviously. So this is for the listeners that don't really understand what a stroke is. There are two types. What are the two types of strokes? So there's a kind of stroke where your brain is bleeding, um, and that can put pressure on it. And then the with pressure, if you put a lot of pressure on a certain area um, of tissue for a long period of time, the tissue begins to die. And then the other kind is that's um, caused by a clot, and that... Um, is based, it's like a clog in your pipes in your brain. And so if your pipe is clogged with a clot, then the blood can't get past it and oxygenate the rest, you know, everything that's beyond that clot. And so that tissue or parts of your body that go without oxygen begin to die. Wow. So again, like we just mentioned earlier, a stroke is a brain attack. Take can take place with anyone at any time. There is no age that's specific to someone who would be more prone to a stroke, although it does seem that more patients over the age of 40 or 50 are the ones that are suffering from this. I'm going to look at just some early signs and symptoms of stroke so that people can kind of get a can kind of get their arms around what you need to do if someone you know or yourself starts experiencing these things so that you can get help. Because when this sort of an attack happens, your brain has a limited number of time, a limited amount of time to get help before the tissue starts to die and then you start to suffer brain damage. So not only that, you are limited as far as your treatment options. So if you've had these symptoms for 24 hours, your treatment options are limited drastically. There is very little that they can do at that point. Whereas if you catch it within two hours or an hour, your treatment options are, you have many more options for treatment. Right. And then also doesn't it, um, 
depend on what peri- what part of the brain is affected ex- as well? Not not necessarily. It depends more on whether it's a bleed or a clot. So if it's a bleed, they can't use the medicines that they use for clots. Right. But medicines that they use to dissolve clots in the brain, they have to be given within a certain time frame. So and if it's not within that time frame, they it's the you're limited permanent. as far as your treatment. Wow. That is pretty scary. So a small stroke would probably end up with less serious issues like temporary body weakness of an arm or maybe a leg. And then those with the larger type of a stroke could be completely paralyzed in one or one part of their body or maybe their entire body and could potentially lose the capability to speak. Luckily, right, it just depends on what part of the brain. Right. And it's usually if it's going to be like it's usually one side or the other, depending on where it is in the brain. So it'll be like right leg and right arm weakness or, yeah. you know. I mean, luckily most people recover completely from strokes according to the research out there. Although about two thirds of survivors usually encounter some kind of a disability that comes along with having a stroke. I personally have a friend who's only a couple years older than me that had a stroke. Now this individual, um, was about 44 when he had his stroke and he had a history of extremely high blood pressure uncontrolled blood blood pressure. And I had was actually visiting with him because he was in the insurance industry and I was doing some um, contract work for him. And I remember him saying that he just didn't feel right. And he was saying that he had a headache and just kind of his vision was a little weird. And he just kind of let it go for three or four days and ended up having a stroke. And what happened with him is he just had this really weird kind of numbness and tingling, like his body was falling asleep. You know, when your foot falls asleep, when you kind of, you're sitting on it or something like that. He said he Mm -hmm. had that kind of a feeling on the left-hand part of his body. And after he had the stroke, they obviously like fixed him and gave him some medication and got him recovered, but he still has not regained the feeling in the left side of his body. Oh yeah. So that is terrifying. Um, I know as well that my mom had a stroke in one of her eyes. So she, again, had the uncontrolled blood pressure that she had no explanation for. She was trying to get it under control, but she had had a raging headache, blurred vision, and all of that for like a week and did not see a doctor. She went in and they said, yeah, you've had a stroke. And she had to have surgery in her eye um, to kind of fix some of the damage that had happened. These stories aren't necessarily to scare people, but to make people aware that when you are experiencing certain symptoms, you should see a doctor and don't wait because the longer you wait, you could potentially be causing more damage within your body that you will be either unable to recover from or that may be permanent. So the longer you wait, the worse it is. So for sure, these unexpected phenomena that are basically strokes Blood vessels in the brain are bursting, essentially, spilling blood into the gaps that surround brain cells. So some factors that can influence whether you have more chances of experiencing this are are high blood pressure levels, smoking, and a family history of stroke. Signs and symptoms of a stroke typically take place suddenly and include things like confusion, nausea, extreme headache, numbness, or weakness in the arms, legs, and or face. So the treatments for these include medication, surgical operations, and rehabilitation. But we want to make people aware that changes of the changes that you need to be looking for. 
suddenly experiencing weakness and numbness of the face, legs, arms, or one side of the body. Okay. That's a serious thing, folks. If you experience that, you need to get in and see a medical professional right away. Um, Another thing that you can experience is sudden misunderstandings, trouble in making decisions, interpreting, or talking. And this can be a scary one because I think some people just think, well, I'm tired or, you know, my brain isn't working right right now. But if this comes on. Right. But also if you've been drinking or doing drugs, it's probably the drinking or drugs. Right. Or marijuana. And not a (laughs) (laughs) Just to be clear. Sorry. Yes. No. (laughs) Point well taken. Um, Blurred vision in your eyes, trouble walking, loss of balance or control, dizziness, and severe Mm -hmm. headache are super, super critical factors, symptoms, and warning signs that you need to be aware of. There is a... Um, what do they call those acronyms? Mm-hmm. Be fast. B for balance. A sudden loss in coordination of legs will not that won't allow you to walk straight. E eyes, double vision, blurred vision, or blindness in one eye. F face dropping, numbness in one side of the face, or an uneven smile. A arm weakness, weakness in one arm, unable to move hands. S, speech difficulty, difficulty in speaking and understanding, slurred speech, and T, time to call the doctor. If you experience any of the above symptoms, then it is time for you to seek immediate medical expertise. Do not sit at home. You could be experiencing a stroke. It is far better to go in and have them say, oh, you're overreacting and get that treatment than to guess and sit around and wait and have a stroke and then have permanent damage to your body. Obviously, there is a shorter version of the one that I just related. That one is just straight fast without the B part, but it's face, arms, speech. So smile and see if one side of the face drops. Arms, raise both arms. Does one arm drop down on its own? Speech, say a short phrase and check for slurred or strange speech. And time, if the answer to any of these is yes, call 911 right away and write down the time when symptoms started. So critical. That's so important because that what that's what determines what kind of treatment that you can get. And so there are people who will have the symptoms and then the symptoms will resolve and that's called a TIA or those are what they call the mini strokes. The mini strokes. Um, but if you, depending on your symptoms, if you get to the doctor or you get, not the doctor, if you get to the emergency room fast enough, your treatment options are, you have so- a lot you have a lot more options. If you have one of those mini strokes, does that mean that your chance of having another stroke is increased? I think so. Wow, that's kind of scary. Yeah. So I know. Again, to reiterate people, numbness or weakness in the body, confusion or trouble understanding people, difficulty speaking, trouble seeing in one or both eyes, problems walking or staying balanced or coordinated, dizziness, severe headache that comes on for no reason. These are all very critical warning signs and symptoms that something is going on with your brain. Each year, about 800,000 people in the U.S. have a stroke. It is very important to realize that this can happen to anyone at any time. You need to plan for an emergency, and that planning can make a pretty big difference. Learn those warning signs and let your family and friends know and understand those symptoms as well. 
If you have medical conditions, wear a medical bracelet or identification that lists your allergies and medications that you take and teach your children and people that you know about the FAST test so that they can understand what's going on as well because you may be out of it. You may not understand what's going on with your body and you may not be able to call 911. So it's really important that the people around you kind of understand, hey, this might be what's happening. I need to try to kind of do this preliminary test with this person, that fast test, and see if that is indeed what's going on and then know that I need to call 911 if that is indeed the case. Mm-hmm. Have you ever known anyone that's had a stroke? Personally, yes. And then, of course, I'm surprised it's only 800,000 because I feel like you see it often in the hospital. Yeah. Or people who have had them. Yeah. So I'm shocked it's not more. Um, so what was the experience like? It was a, per- a family member or do you mind sharing? Sure. It was a friend of our – it was a very close friend of the family and she had um, uncontrolled high blood pressure and she was 40 or 41. God, that is so young. Um, and her husband knew. She was with her husband and I think it was her speech was slurred or she was off balance. And he said, oh my gosh, I think you're having a stroke. Called 911. They were like a 25-minute drive to the hospital oh my God. Um, that she ended up going to. And they rushed her in. And it was the kind that was bleeding, so they couldn't give her the clot medicines like they could for, you know, ischemic strokes. Yeah. She ended up, I want to say it was only like one day, because this was years ago. This was 2011 or 2012. Yeah. 2011, because um, I hadn't moved to California yet. But she, anyways, she, um, they offered her brain surgery to remove part of her skull so that the brain could swell. And they said, you would, you're, you're probably going to die and you will probably still die, but this is your only shot. Good Lord. She she had very young children and she did die. Of stroke? Yeah. Yeah. She died of, her brain was bleeding. That is awful. And there was so much pressure on the area. And of course, when you have a lot of pressure, mm -mm, when you have a lot of pressure on certain tissue, it'll die. God, that is awful. Yeah, and I don't know where in her brain or why they couldn't operate, go in or whatnot. Yeah, but yeah, she died. God, that's freaking terrible. Um, yeah. Let's talk about some causes and risk factors because there's some special kind of circumstances with respect to women and strokes. I know we've kind of talked about some guys that have suffered from it, but stroke is definitely – statistically more likely to occur in in men. Okay. But women have an increased lifetime risk of suffering from one at some point. Women are also more likely than men to die from a stroke. In fact, strokes are the third leading cause of death in women. According. Yeah. According to the centers for sense, but according to the centers for disease and control prevention, one in five American women will have a stroke someday and almost 60% will die from it. And it's interesting because women experience strokes from different causes than men typically. So it's really kind of important to sort of understand these risk factors so that you can know and be prepared. Pregnancy is a huge risk factor, unfortunately. Um, Because of the hormones. Right. According to a 2011 study, pregnancy and the postpartum period increase a woman's risk of stroke. It's just 
even healthy pregnancies increase a woman's risk of stroke because the natural changes in the body, including increased stress on the heart and higher blood pressure. <laughs> Exercise and a diet can lower blood pressure, but which can reduce the risk of a stroke. Um, so another risk factor for women is the fact that they live longer. 55,000 more women will experience a stroke than men each year in the elderly range. Women who have strokes are more likely to have a more negative impact simply because they live longer. According to the National Stroke Association, women may suffer from a stroke because they are more likely to live alone because they tend to live longer than men. Um, they are also more likely than men to live in a long-term healthcare center after a stroke and tend to have a tougher recovery. High blood pressure, and I think this is something that's sort of been a common factor in the last couple of cases that we were talking about of people that we personally know that have experienced this. But high blood pressure increases the risk of a stroke because it weakens and damages the blood vessels leading to the brain by causing them to rupture, narrow, or leak. So high blood pressure can also block the flow of oxygen and nutrients to the brain, which increases the risk of blood clots. It also enhances the risk of stroke. So in a 2015 study, women were more likely than men to develop high blood pressure after the age of 55, which is interesting. I would have thought that it would have been men. Yeah, but think about how much stress women are under to take care of these And that is precisely <laughs> what they're contributing that to because women have increased stress levels um, according to many studies out there. So stress hormones have been shown to increase the risk of high blood pressure, which is a significant risk factor for stroke. So yeah, we get a little bit more stress. We've got a lot more things to deal with in this world than a lot of men. But the American Physiological Association says women are more likely to report high levels of stress than men. I think that maybe they experience the same thing, but women just um, internalize it a little bit different. Well, women are more verbal. Yes. Research shows a link between individuals who are short-tempered, impatient, aggressive, and naturally hostile with stroke. So there's a link. If you are pissy, impatient, and aggressive, you are more likely to experience a stroke. Scary. Makes sense. <laughs> so practice that. That's karma for you. <laughs> right? Practice those aerobic exercises, yoga, breathing techniques, meditation, whatever you got to do. Do it. If it means reducing those risk factors for a stroke, it's absolutely necessary um, in your health. Hormone replacement theory, therapy, big time. Um, it uses a combination of progestin and estrogen to relieve menopausal symptoms. Research shows an increased risk of stroke in women over the age of 62 who receive this therapy. The primary concern over using hormone replacement therapy is an increased risk of blood clots, blood clots which can result in a stroke. So that research out there shows that six out of every 100 women taking hormone replacement therapy will experience a stroke, and an additional eight will develop a blood clot. So that's a pretty, oh pretty large factor. And the longer you're on that, the more your risk is increased. And also, my mom was on that. She had a hysterectomy when she was in her 40s. So mm. that may be partially what is contributing to her uncontrolled blood pressure. Yeah, pretty scary. The next... Um, factor on this list is migraines. Migraines have been shown to increase women's risk of stroke apparently two and a half times. As the majority of individuals in the U.S. who suffer from migraines are women, migraine prevention may be quite a useful way to protect women against the likelihood of suffering from a stroke. So, yikes. This last part kind of scares me even more because it says research shows migraine sufferers who also experience vision problems called auras are 
at an increased risk of stroke. Yay, good times. It, it's a scary enough experience on its own when, when you have visual disruptions like that. Sure. Um, let alone to think that they could be increasing your risk factors for stroke. <laughs> Don't want to think yeah. about that. The next factor on this list is birth control pills. And that is something that I think a lot of women are aware of because many women are on birth control. I am not currently on birth control and I have really never been on it. I had an IUD at one point, um, but mm-hmm. I really have never been on birth control. And I'm kind of glad now that I hear the correlations here, but birth controls for, were first linked to strokes during a study published in 1962. The World Health Organization said that women who use higher estrogen oral contraception but not lower estrogen forms had a 40% increased risk of stroke. 40%. Oh, my girlfriend developed a lung uh, blood clot in her lung. That's the next point um, that I was she just going to make. Go ahead. Yeah, she was on high-dose birth control to control um, – she had severe vaginal bleeding and it was causing anemia. Oh, my God. Which is a low blood count. But low blood count, excuse me. And um, it was big. I mean, she was hospitalized for a little bit because of it. Right. It was was nuts. And she's 34. That is scary. She was 33 at the time. That is really scary. Um, Mm -hmm. I was just going to say that research is definitely showing big links between oral contraception and blood clots, that risk of blood clots, which can also cause a stroke. Women who Mm -hmm. smoke and have high blood pressure and experience migraines may want to talk to the doctor about other forms of birth control in order to mitigate the risk as much as possible. You don't want to have to deal with that. Just be aware of those factors and how birth control can play into that and increase it even more. So if you've got other things going on, you definitely want to make sure you're trying out other birth control methods besides using the pill or you're using, use a lower dose, um, type of a situation. Um, atrial fibrillation, that is a scary thing. It's an irregular heartbeat, but according to the American heart association, this increases the risk of experiencing a stroke five times over the general population. Essentially this irregular heartbeat causes blood to pool, which increases the risk of a blood clot. Um, Mm -hmm. yikes. Because the heart, the heart does not pump effectively. And so it kind of quivers, the upper chamber kind of quivers. And so, um, it doesn't give a good squeeze. And so blood is a blood then can pool. And when blood pools, it can clot. Yikes. I did not know this, but this says the American Heart Association suggests that one good way to lower the risk of atrial fibrillation and stroke is to reduce the number of caffeine beverages you're consuming. I have not heard that, but that is interesting. The Heart Association suggests I mean, it makes, I get it would make sense. I just... I did not know that that had a correlation. I I know that sometimes I get kind of a fluttery feeling in my chest when I have caffeine, but I did not know that just reducing that intake could actually help with the risk of blood clots and atrial fibrillation and stroke. Well, I think you're just, your heart's beating because you're having a lot of caffeine. I don't think you're an aphid. Yeah, no, no. I I think I'm just extra sensitive to caffeine, but it's interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, this factor is something that also I never would have thought, but evidently depression and loneliness. Compelling research shows having depression and loneliness can actually increase a woman's risk of having a stroke in the first place. The exact cause of the relationship isn't completely clear, but researchers have several theories as to why depression and loneliness can lead to stroke. Oftentimes women don't take proper care of themselves when they are depressed, including eating less healthy food and exercising less. 
Another theory is that the same markers in the bloodstream that cause inflammation and set the body up for stroke may also play a causal role in the development of depression. So another factor is that some antidepressant medications list stroke as a potential side effect, which is kind of scary. So not necessarily the medicine chemically, but I'm sorry, but what's going on mentally? Yeah. Yeah. Diabetes. It's been linked to strokes as well. Diabetes is such a disaster disease. That's horrible. It, It basically causes like, it's, it helps. It puts a hand in every bad thing that could happen with your body. Absolutely. Diabetes makes it worse. Oh, absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> diabetes um, is horrible. Women with diabetes are up to four times more likely to have a stroke than those who do not have the disease. Losing excess weight, exercising more, eating healthier, and properly taking insulin shots and medications are all ways to control the condition and reduce the increased chance of having a stroke. So if you have diabetes, you need to be more than aware that this is going on. And if your doctor hasn't told you to be aware of that as a a causal causal link, then you need to get a new doctor Um, because that's a big, big, big factor. And you hear it on like half the commercials that are out there today. So... Obviously, this next one is a huge factor, high cholesterol. Cholesterol is a necessary fatty substance in the blood, but in amounts that are too high or too low, it can be dangerous. High levels of low-density lipo, lipoprotein, is that how you say it, lipoprotein? Oh, I don't know, LDL. Yeah, is an extremely <laughs> dangerous condition that can lead to stroke, among other ailments and conditions like heart disease. When cholesterol fills the arteries and causes blockage, the body is at an increased risk of stroke. Doctors recommend total cholesterol's level remain under... Ugh, I can't speak tonight. Maybe I'm having a stroke. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Doctors recommend total cholesterol levels to remain under 200. Controlling that high cholesterol can be achieved by eating healthy as well as medication being taken when necessary. So that is something that I have been told by my doctor because of my thyroid condition. So when your thyroid isn't working properly, then your body can in, can either produce too much or not enough healthy cholesterol, which can increase your risk of stroke is what I was told. So if you have a low-performing thyroid, you need to keep an eye on your um, cholesterol levels as well. So just be aware of that. Get your blood tested periodically so that you know what's going on with that and to know that you need to eat in a way that is going to maintain healthy cholesterol. Mm. Do you eat more fish then or do you take a fish oil? Yeah, I take a fish oil supplement. I eat a lot of avocado, but I'm on the keto right now anyway. So it pretty much helps maintain those healthy levels. And I don't go crazy with it you know, like the Atkins diet and just have all meat and bacon and eggs. Like I try oh, yeah. to to stay with the healthier ones, like the fish and the avocado rather than going all out with, cause I don't really like bacon as weird as it sounds. I'm not crazy about bacon. I'll have it every once in a while, but it's not something I crave and it's not something that I'm going to be like, Oh, I want to have bacon every day. But being overweight is one of the last factors on this list and is very, very dangerous in women. Research shows that having excess weight more than doubles a woman's chance of experiencing a stroke, and the stroke can occur at a much younger age than normal if you are overweight. Try to live a healthy lifestyle. Healthy diet and exercise is the best way to keep your weight under control and to to reduce the risk of health complications. Um, you may need some intervention or medication that is okay, but a woman's ideal weight will depend on her height and weight. These are calculated by body mass index. 
just be aware of where you should be as far as your health is concerned. And if you are overweight, know that you are increasing your risk for stroke. Let's kind of talk about some famous people that have had strokes besides Luke Perry. So Dick Clark, Mr. Dick Clark had a stroke. And that was, I think, part of the reason why he passed away. President Gerald Ford also had a stroke. He suffered a stroke during the 2000 Republican convention at the age of 87. Other presidents who have experienced a stroke were Thomas Jefferson, Dwight Eisenhower, Franklin Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson, and Richard Nixon all experienced strokes. Um, Mary Kay Ash started a cosmetics company in 1963. It's Mary Kay, but she suffered a stroke as well that ended her career. That was in 1996. Um, The famous actress Della Reese had a stroke. Um, This is interesting that she suffered an aneurysm during an appearance on The Tonight Show. And it turned, oh into, it turned into a stroke. But later she became a spokeswoman for the National Stroke Association. Can you imagine? Um, On TV too? Right. Jeez. Charles Dickens suffered a stroke at the age of 58 and died the next day. So the famous author, Ooh. Oliver Twist, Great Expectations, Tale of Two Cities. Charles Schultz, the Peanuts creator. In 1999, at age 77, he retired after suffering a stroke and being diagnosed with colon cancer. Talk about a double whammy. It's not just enough that you had a stroke, but now you have colon cancer too. What the actual fuck? That sounds awful. Um, Ted Williams, um, Boston Red Sox slugger suffered a stroke that ended his 21 year career, suffered that stroke in 94 and lived until 2002. So he didn't kill him right away. Hugh Hefner suffered a stroke. Is he still alive or did he die? He passed away. He, is that how he died? I, I'm not sure. It doesn't say in this article. Hmm. He was really old, though. He that suffered a stroke, anything. though, in his late 50s. Hmm, but he says that it changed the direction of his life. Interesting. Some of the, the hmm. famous people who have dealt with strokes. Uh, getting diagnosed for a stroke. An emergency team usually needs to evaluate people. When you know that you're experiencing any one of these symptoms, you need to go in and get help. And what happens with that is... Well, they usually do a set of vital signs, check a blood sugar, and then they'll send you to CAT scan. As the CAT scan's negative for bleed, then they would have you see uh, a neurologist. It'd be either via telephone, like the video phone, or um, there's one in the hospital that'll come see you. Wow. And then they'll decide... Whether it's a stroke, if they're going to treat at my hospital, actually, they do MRIs really fast. So if they um, think that you're experiencing a stroke, they'll get in, they'll give you kind of a, a little examination. If, and if they see that you are kind of suffering those symptoms, then they'll give you an MRI. No, it's a, they do CAT scan first. Okay. CAT scan's the gold standard. But For listeners who do not know what a CAT scan is, can you just explain it briefly? It's a scan that shows certain types of injury. Um, which is why they in can't the always do a CAT scan. Sometimes they'll do an MRI, but it's a big donut. It's not the tube. Okay. The tube is the MRI. So a CAT scan is real quick, and you just go in and out of this big ring. And it so shows what's going on like in your brain. Donut. Well, anywhere in your body, wherever they're scanning. So they'll but do that's it what they'll for use. your brain. Yeah, though, if you're showing signs of a stroke, they check your blood sugar. They do a set of vital signs, which is temperature, heart rate, respirations, O2, or oxygen saturation, and blood pressure. Um, And then they will send you to CAT scan. They'll scan your brain and make sure it's not a brain bleed. And if they continue to think that you are having a stroke, then they go through 
options for um, medication type treatment. Wow. Very, very interesting. So obviously they're just taking your vital signs so they can make sure it's not something else like a seizure or low blood sugar well, or they need to, they need to like establish a baseline. Right. Anytime someone comes into the emergency room with an, like an, an emergent medical situation, that is what they will, they want, unless you're obviously bleeding somewhere where they can see it. Right. They want a set of vital signs to see where you're at, how, how sick are you? Yes. You know what I mean? Exactly. So they're also going to do some blood tests and um, check you out, make sure that you don't have a heart attack or um, the, some migraine or a seizure or something else that could potentially cause your issues. Yeah. Blood work usually takes a bit to get back. So they'll do that initially, but they will whisk you to CT very fast. They because also the faster they get you to CT, the faster they can decide what the treatment will be. So it's my understanding that they also check for your blood clotting. If it takes too long, it could be a sign of bleeding problems. Is that kind of your clotting time? Yeah, that's way down the line, though, as far as like emergent treatment. Right. So that's, CAT scan. That's something that you would find out at an hour. Right. You know Cat, what I mean? CAT Whereas scan, the MRI. First 20 minutes, right. they get you through that scanner and it's red and like things happen very quickly. I mean, like, if they really think you're having a stroke, you'll be swarmed with people. You get, you know what I mean? It's it's a very quick process. And a lot happens, and a lot will happen in a very short amount of time. So basically, they're, they're, they're doing those x-rays, those CAT scans, those MRIs, all those other things that they need to do. They're tasting, testing your blood pressure. They're doing blood work. They're doing all these other kinds of things. So they can do their very best to determine what is going on with you, where the problem is and how they can fix it with the best sort of treatment. Right. Well, they want to rule out, is this a medical emergency? And based on your symptoms, they'll go to the worst possible scenario in their head and rule that out, which is why when people come in with stroke-like symptoms, like my last hospital, especially you didn't even get off the medic gurney. The medics took you with a nurse directly to the CAT scan room. If they knew you were coming and, and that you were um, suffering that's just with the symptoms. Way that they flowed. If they knew you were suffering from symptoms to similar to what a stroke is, and they knew you were right. coming, then they would have it all ready. Right. So the firemen call ahead of time and patch you through, and they just get it ready. And so your scan's done so that they could, because the sooner, if it is in fact a stroke, the sooner they start that medicine, the more brain cells they save, and the less likely you are to have um, long term disability because disability. of a stroke. Yeah. What about angiograms? Is that the very last step? Um, it depends on the doc and like their style and if they're worried about your kidneys and stuff like that. But they'll do, it's called a CTA where they look at the vessels in the brain and they'll use a dye um, in the CAT scan, excuse me, to um, see your blood to vessels, look at the right? blood vessels. Yeah. And this can help find a blockage or an aneurysm. Right. So what's an aneurysm? Tell, tell the listeners what an aneurysm is. It's a weakening in the blood vessel wall that causes like a little bubble. So do you ever hit, do you ever, I'm a terrible driver, so it's happened to me, but um, hit your tire against the curb and then there's a bubble on your tire. I have never done that. Watch me, okay, watch me do it tomorrow. like a tire <laughs> aneurysm, but it's because, so your blood, your blood vessel has a weak spot and then that it like protrudes 
And so if you have a weak spot, you're more at risk for bleeding because that spot in the vessel wall is weaker. So you're more at risk for a stroke. Because it could burst, yeah. and then you that would right. be a stroke, right? And then you're right? bleeding into the brain, yes. Very interesting. So I thought, I always thought, you know, not being in the medical profession, that an aneurysm was a burst blood vessel. Mm-mm. Evidently, it's, it's just the bubble. So very, mm-hmm. very interesting. It could burst. It can burst. But if it's just an aneurysm, it's a weakening in the vessel. So... Essentially, from what we spoke about earlier, there are the two different types of strokes, the two different major types of strokes. So the treatments for each one are slightly different, as as Nurse Sam mentioned earlier. If you have the ischemic stroke, your doctor is going to put you on a blood... They give you a clot-busting medicine. Exactly. So the doctor will give you a clot-busting drug, put it into your arm. You should get it within three hours of the stroke. In some situations, you can get it up to 4.5 hours later, but you probably will have it while you're still in the ER. Oh, you! if they decide they're going to give that to you, you get it very quickly. So this particular drug, though, is pretty powerful and it can cause bleeding. So you might take aspirin or other medication to thin your blood and keep clots from getting bigger. Um, another option for them with this type of stroke is to remove the clot after you arrive at the hospital. So this ischemic stroke is a blood clot in the brain. Yes, essentially, yes. So your doctor will thread a device through a stent up the artery to grab that little clot and take it out with a suction tube. They can also... They can do that, yeah. Or they can use a tiny flexible tube called a catheter to send drugs up to your brain that eat the clot up, right? Yeah, so you can get it through an IV in your arm, Mm -hmm. and but then it goes through your whole body. Right. um, Which, you know depending on people's risk factors, might not be their best option. They can go in, um, they take you to, like, usually interventional radiology. That's not done in the ER. They go through um, a big vessel in your body and they snake it up and they either suck out the clot or they can put the medicine directly to the clot. To dissolve it. um, To dissolve it. And that way, I mean, you still are exposed to that medicine, but it's only a little bit and it's going directly to the spot that's causing the blockage. And that second type of stroke, how do you say that? Hemorrhagic? Hemorrhagic, which means a bleed. And this, the first goal is to find and control where the bleeding is coming from. So if you're taking blood... Well, you can't really control it. If it's in your skull, they usually go in and... Attempt to um, though, right? Well, but if you're bleeding in your head, it's not like you can put pressure on it. You know what I mean? Like that's something that they would like surgically do. Right. Yeah, so they do try and locate it, but that's not anything that they do like in the ER. But if you take blood thinners, they're going to take you off of those right away Mm -hmm. um, so that they can help prevent any further damage. But the number one reason for this type of stroke is uncontrolled high blood pressure. So they're going to give you medication to try to lower that blood pressure as fast as possible. If an aneurysm caused your stroke, the doctor may clamp the broken vessel closed or thread a tiny coil through it to help keep the blood vessel from bursting again. And actually, they don't want your pressure to drop too much because then I believe it lowers perfusion. So there's like a sweet spot. In the blood pressure realm. Once your brain's bleeding, it's like, well, you're a little beyond trying to drop it right away because it can do more damage while there's actual, the bleed going on. Of course, they'll, when it's all said and done, they keep it under much better control, but you'd be surprised. I, I was surprised too, that there's like a sweet spot where they want the pressure if you're bleeding. 
And obviously, you know, most people sleep through the procedures and the treatment and then recover in the hospital afterwards. But the treatment, the treatment type, the amount of the treatment, the severity and how long it takes to recover just varies wildly depending on how severe the stroke is, how old the patient is, and other factors that we spoke about earlier. Um, one other interesting thing that I saw in here was that tangled blood vessels can also cause a stroke. And some people are born with these. So in Oh, yeah, like if you have, um, not tumultuous, but like, I think I, I know what you're talking about. But it, that's a good way to put it, a tangled blood vessel. I mean, they're not really tangled, but yeah. But it says that in some cases the doctor will take these out with surgery or use radiation to shrink them or use a special substance to block the flow to these particular vessels. So once you treat treated for a stroke, your doctor is going to work with you on a plan after that to kind of reduce and lower your risk of experiencing another one. Because as we mentioned earlier, once you experience a stroke, you are more likely to have a second one at some point in your life. So true. blood pressure, blood pressure, blood pressure, get it checked regularly, maintain healthy blood pressure. If you have high blood pressure, you should be aware that you have high blood pressure. If you have it well, and don't people know, say, Oh, I didn't take my medicine because they didn't like the way it made me feel. Well, that's when you tell your doctor, you don't like the way it makes you feel so they can put you on something else. You don't just stop it because, Oh, I don't like it. Yeah. Exactly. Because there's so many different options and I don't think people realize, you know, not the same medicine isn't going to work for everybody. Right. So if you are having issues and need to have that maintained, I mean, first of all, you should be getting an annual examination, just a basic health exam every year where they're checking out the body for the moles, for the skin cancer, where they're checking out your blood pressure, where they're looking at things like your cholesterol. If you are not doing this and you are beyond the age of, say, 30, then there's something seriously wrong with you. I get the fact that health insurance can be hard to obtain and people can't necessarily afford to go in for those exams every year, but this could be a life or death sort of a situation if you don't know and understand that you have high blood pressure or high cholesterol or any one of those factors that we spoke about. Well, and there's a lot of like, if you really want to check, you can go to like a, a free clinic or like a, like there are clinics that are discounted or based on your income um, as far as what they, what they will charge. And there are many options as far as medical treatment. You just have to know how to find them. Well, essentially you can get your blood pressure checked at a CVS for crying out loud. You just walk oh, yeah, in there. There's how a... people know what's high and what's low. Right. I mean. but it tells you. So you oh, does it get into you? this little machine, you sit down at the desk, you put your arm in the cuff, you sit still. It takes about 20 seconds. It measures it. And then it gives you a reading that tells you whether you're high, medium or low or in the normal range and what the normal range is for someone of your height, weight, etc. So it's very cool. And it's something that I kind of keep an eye on periodically, given that my mom suffered from a stroke and my grandmother as well. So I keep an eye on it because I have that genetic uh, predisposition for high blood pressure. Now I have never, I've had periods where it's been a little high where they've kind of said, Hey, you know, you should keep an eye on this. But the correlation between my diet and stress level and lack of exercise and weight has 
definitely shown me that high blood pressure for me is typically related to the overconsumption of sugar and caffeine and just eating really shitty. If I take care of myself and work out regularly and maintain a normal body weight, then blood, high blood pressure is typically not an issue for me. Have you ever um, experienced high blood pressure even when you were pregnant with the babies or anything like that? No, I've always been like 120 or lower. Oh, that's good. It's very, very yeah. good. It's definitely something that I didn't really know what it was a couple times that I experienced it. It was just like I kind of felt like a tight, fluttering feeling in my chest and like kind of anxious sort of a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people can tell when theirs is high. They'll come in and be like, I don't know what it is, but I know it's high. Yeah. So I mean, those sorts of people, like my mom, being that she suffered a stroke, um, she carries around a blood pressure measure some kind of a cuff. Like a little cuff. Yeah. yeah. So that she can measure hers periodically to make sure as well. And she, obviously she limits her salt intake quite a bit because that has been a contributing factor for her in her blood pressure yeah. journey. But she measures hers pretty regularly now just to make sure she doesn't have that. And of course she doesn't mess around. If she starts to have a headache and she just feels off, then she's, you know, taking care of it now. But it's like, she's, some people just go, 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 and they've got such a busy, chaotic, hectic lifestyle that they don't stop to think that maybe their body is trying to tell them something. Oh, sure. Well, that's like, it's not a like a joke joke, but um, right after like Thanksgiving and Christmas yeah. is when people come in with all kinds of like symptoms that they're like, Oh, well, I didn't want to go to the doctor because we had all this going on. And, you know, we were making, you know, the Thanksgiving dinner and blah, 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 black Friday. People come in with like all kinds of heart attacks and gallbladder issues. And it's ridiculous. And then it's like, you waited three days. Come on. (laughs) For real. We can't, you know, you could, you could have been helped so much more had you just been seen, but the holidays are the worst. I hear you. Working the day after Thanksgiving, gee whiz. Like a lot of heart (laughs) attack people think they're having a heart attack. (laughs) Well, heart attack or gallbladder because they eat like crap and then they're in pain because their gallstones act up. Yikes. Well, I think we'll probably do a separate episode related to heart attack and warning signs because that seems to be something that's popping up more and more frequently now as well is younger women that are not thinking that they're in the range where they would experience a heart attack are now suffering heart attacks. So we want to teach people, we want to show people what they need to be looking for so that they can be aware because being aware of the situation and what you need to do for emergency procedures can save someone's life for real. Oh, for sure. And not just, you know, you don't have to be a nurse. You don't have to go to medical school in order to do that. Just educate yourself. It's as simple as that. So we are going to go ahead and put those uh, the fast things into the show notes. Drop it in there for you folks. Know those. They could save someone's life. But I think for now, we are just at about the hour mark. We're going to go ahead and wrap the show up for the day. Um, this is the point where we say so long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send us an email as well. We are happy to respond to you guys. We're at hypoalma at gmail.com. Oh, excuse me. We're at hypoalmapodcast at gmail.com or hypochondriacsalmanac at gmail.com. We will put those into the show notes. Thank you so much, Sam, for joining us yet again. 
It oh, has you're been welcome. entertaining as usual. I always love having <laughs> you on the show. You are just a treasure trove of medical knowledge and seeing as how you experience a lot of this stuff and have in the ER and whatnot. It's great to have someone who has that practical experience as well. Oh, thanks. You guys, everyone have a good night. Be healthy. Right. Keep your blood pressure low. Exactly. Don't get <laughs> Maintain that healthy body. Um, please join us again next week when we talk more about strange medical news, conditions and treatments, as well as more common ailments that people potentially might be suffering from and just don't know it. So good night, podcast peeps. Stay healthy, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Good night. Good night.